Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi guys, my name is Sarah Nicole and I am the host of the Papaya Podcast, where each week we dish out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom all through candid conversations in a very real and tangible way. I want everyone to know that they're not alone and that we share in these experiences called life. And sometimes when we get to know somebody else's story, it changes ours a little bit as well. So I want you to tune in with us on Mondays. Subscribe, rate and review it and keep these conversations going with us. You can tune in behind the scenes at the Papaya Podcast and the Birds Papaya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, the show that delivers helpful, actionable career tips and advice so that you can be more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Norman Goodwin, and something I've been practicing more and feeling great results with is practicing more self-compassion. I've specifically used Dr. Kristen Neff's book, self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. And that's why I was overjoyed, read freaking out when Dr. Kristen Neff herself agreed to join our show today. More and more psychologists are turning away from the emphasis on self-esteem and moving towards self-compassion in the treatment of their patients. And Dr. Neff's extraordinary book offers exercises and action plans for dealing with every emotionally debilitating struggle. And I know a lot of us are having a struggle, whether it's personal, professional, a mix of both, an emotional struggle. And that's why this episode is so important to me. Today, we'll learn more about what self-compassion is, including what it's not, and why self-compassion works better than that high self-esteem we seem to always be chasing for. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Dr. Kristen Neff, PhD, is an associate professor in educational psychology at the University of Texas, Austin. She's the author of Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself, and co-author of The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Oh, thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to learn more about self-compassion today. And I'd love to start with you just sharing what exactly self-compassion is. I know it's commonly mistaken for a lot of other things. And unlike some of the memes on Instagram, I haven't seen a ton of information about self-compassion. So how about you give us just a quick, what is it? Right. So a compassion is just the concern with the alleviation of suffering. And generally, that's how it's defined in science. And so self-compassion is turning that concern inward. In other words, being uh, warm, supportive, understanding toward yourself, um, helping yourself make changes if you need to, to help alleviate suffering, to be healthy and well, and really just treating yourself 
the way you would more naturally treat a good friend. And why do people confuse uh, self-compassion with self-esteem? They think oh, if I increase my self-esteem, it's going to fix the issues with that I, you know, maybe I am super critical of myself or I feel like I'm just never good enough. Uh, I just need more self-esteem. But you argue that self-esteem is not really the answer here. So if you define self-esteem as a positive judgment of self-worth, a kind of good evaluation, it's better to have high self-esteem than low self-esteem. But, but the problem is that we need to evaluate ourselves at all to feel worthy of kindness and care, right? From the perspective of self-compassion, you're worthy of kindness and care and support, whether you're on you know top of your game or if you're you, know, you fall flat on your face. Self-esteem is a bit of a fair-weather friend, right? It's there for us when we succeed, but what happens when we need it most when we fail or things are really difficult in our life? Mm-hmm. Compassion is more of an unconditional source of self-worth. It's not based on an evaluation. You don't have to earn the right to self-compassion. You just have to be a flawed human being like everyone else. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Self-esteem, you have to feel special and above average. You know, we compare ourselves to others and we need to come out ahead of the game, which leads to a lot of kind of nasty bullying and social comparison. Where self-compassion, you don't have to be above average. You just only have to be a human being, which again, everyone can do at any time. You know, in the long run, the research suggests. I like that you brought up comparison. It's obviously something a lot of us do. And I was actually talking to someone the other day and I I was saying something about my situation. And I was like, well, you know, but I I don't want to compare because if I compare myself to other people yet, you know, I I should be really thankful or something. And she said, well, that's like comparative gratitude. You know, that's saying I'm grateful for what I have because someone else has less or more or whatnot. And so it's interesting that you brought up comparison because I think people get that kind of confused also with, you know, gratitude practices and I'm sure with self-compassion a lot too. Yeah. So self-compassion is actually made up of three components. One is kindness, which is kind of the most evident, warmth, understanding. Um, also mindfulness. In other words, the ability to turn toward and acknowledge that we're struggling as opposed to either just like, you know, powering through it or else running away with it where we have no perspective. So it takes some awareness. Uh, but the third element is common humanity, which is really important. This is what differentiates self-compassion from self-pity. Self-pity is poor me. It's like a victim mentality. Self-compassion is, hey, everyone's imperfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone struggles. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, all people struggle the same amount. Absolutely. You know, if you're if you're born into privilege or we're going to struggle less than people who are born who are oppressed or really economically disadvantaged. Um, so it doesn't erase differences. But what it does say is every single human being is worthy of compassion, is worthy of consideration and care. It doesn't cut anyone out of the circle of compassion. The idea is care is like our intrinsic birthright as human beings. But of course, some people do struggle more than others. And it's, it's good to be aware of that, to put things in perspective, but that somehow doesn't um, deny you the right to hurt. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about, especially if self-compassion was something we emphasize more in the workplace or when we were hiring people or onboarding people. And I'm just thinking about the major benefits we would see if if, if a collection of people working together were also encouraged to be self-compassionate, because I think there's a lot more competition, you know, you and another person going up for the promotion. And so like we our, I guess, professional cultures, I think sometimes breed the opposite of a self-compassionate situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. It breeds perfectionism. It doesn't necessarily ask what's good for me. 
I was healthy and was going to alleviate my suffering itself. And just like, well, how am I going to make the most money or get the most prestige? But the research shows that self-compassion is so good in business context is it's the absolute key to learning from failures and mistakes and growing and having grit and keeping in the game even when things get tough. I mean, it's a truism, right? Failure is our best teacher. And yet we forget that. We think somehow we aren't supposed to fail. Or if we do make a mistake, we feel like everyone else is getting it right. And it's just me who's doing it. That's not the human condition. And so what happens if you shame yourself and if you beat yourself up when you make a mistake, when you fall short of your sales target, whatever it is, it actually, it actually makes it harder to learn what you need to learn to grow. Shame is not great get up and go mind state. It debilitates you. Whereas saying, ooh, ouch, that hurt. Okay, well, I blew that one. Well, everyone makes a mistake. What can I learn from this? It's not a problem to make a mistake. Everyone fails. What can I learn from this? What could I do better next time? And it's not like I've got to do better in order to be worthy. It's like I would like to do better because I care and I want to be my happiest, best self. So the, the motive, you know, what underlies the motivation is very different. Instead of shame and inadequacy, it's care and desire for well-being. Do you think we've created this culture? I mean, obviously we've created a culture that's obsessed with perfection. And but now I feel like we're kind of you talked about self-pity. I do feel like there is kind of now becoming a little bit of an extreme. At least I feel like I'm seeing it where people are talking a lot about toxic workplaces and um, their anxiety at work and their stress at work and they're burnt out at work. And it almost, it's like we went from, we're not allowed to talk about our failures to sometimes I feel like almost like a state of self-pity or almost like people don't want to talk about the good things that are happening. That may be the case. Like it's a case by case basis. I mean, it is important that we don't gloss over our struggles because if we gloss it over, it doesn't mean it goes away. It comes out like either passive aggressive behavior or, you know, again, we burn out, we get stressed, we develop health problems. So it's good that we acknowledge our struggles. But on the other hand, that, that doesn't mean we've got to blame people. It doesn't mean we've got to be a victim. It just says, hey, this is hard. How might I approach it in a way that's healthy? You know, these relationships are challenging. How might I approach them in a way that's going to be healthy? You know? Yeah. Right. In other words, self-pity is very different than self-compassion. Self-pity is, again, poor me. I'm a victim. Self-compassion is, hey, we're all doing the best we can. But it also means like, you know, if if you have some ability to work harder, you know, like a compassionate kick in the butt to say, hey, you've been procrastinating for too long. It's not helping you or anyone. You know, kind of like that, I call it a mama bear self-compassion. Yeah. There's self-compassion. Sometimes it means we've got to take action. We've got to make changes. But we do need to take responsibility. So interestingly, the research shows that self-compassion helps people take personal responsibility because it's safe to do so. Mm -hmm. Safe to say, okay, I contributed and I messed up. You're much more likely to do so than if it's not safe, I'm going to do everything I can to blame other people. Right. And and protect myself so that I everyone looks away from me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Do you do you think self-criticism has been I, I know when I speak to women who have accomplished a lot, sometimes they will say like, hey, it's because I'm critical of myself or I'm a perfectionist that I get a lot done. And so I could see one argument of self-compassion being that, well, I still get stuff done if I'm compassionate and I'm not beating myself up because I use that as my motivation. 
Yeah, so the research shows clearly that self-compassion is a more effective motivator than self-criticism. So it's not like self-criticism doesn't work. I mean, a lot of people get through law school or med school through self-criticism. But it's like, yeah, it gets you up the hill. Like a coal-powered steam engine will get you up the hill, but it spits out a lot of black smoke. So here are the unintended consequences of self-criticism. Anxiety is a big one, right? So a little bit of anxiety may be good to like, you know, get you focused, but too much anxiety actually undermines your ability to perform your best. It creates fear of failure. It can make it harder to take risks. It can cause you to blame other people and not take responsibility. Um, again, shame is not exactly a great get-up-and-go mind state, you know? So it, it kind of works. But what works better is self-compassion. In other words, why am I trying to achieve my goals? Is it because I'm going to beat myself up if I don't? Or is it because I care? So if you care, you're still going to want to do your best. But the whole difference is what happens if I do fall short? You know, a perfectionist says, not only is my, is my behavior not good enough, I'm not good enough. And then once you start saying, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, that's when the depression, the anxiety, the poor mental health sets in. With self-compassion, you might say, my behavior isn't good enough. I want to do better, but I'm still okay. You know, I don't have to have perfect behaviors or the best possible behaviors to still be a person who's worthy of care and support. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a parent, you know, an ideal parent. Hopefully, we unconditionally love our children. And of course, we want them to reach the goals and go to the best college they can and be happy and succeed in life because we care, not because our, our love is contingent on it. When you have parents like that, that's not very healthy at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And yet somehow I think it's healthy for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of this is also patterns. You know, you fall into a pattern of how you speak to yourself, how you speak to others, and uh, it becomes sort of your way of life. And to again, to practice something else, I mean, changing habits is, is hard stuff and it doesn't happen overnight. That's right. And then also there's, there's certain... Some, probably some evolutionary biological tendencies, why we are kinder to other people than ourselves. So when we feel threatened, of course, evolutionarily, we go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. And so fight, we, we beat ourselves up, hoping we'll control ourselves and you know, not, be, not be unsafe. Or we flee in shame, we flee from the perceived judgments of others, we hang our head in shame, or we freeze and get stuck. Now, when your best friend loses her job, you're personally threatened. You're actually much more able to tap into another system, which is the care system, which has also evolved to help us feel safe. You know, when we care for each other, tend and befriend, we give our people who care about support, we help them. But it really evolved more to help other people. So we're kind of doing half. You know, we're using the system that evolved to help others and turning it inward for ourselves. It's not completely natural. You gotta work at it. It feels weird at first. And it starts to feel normal after time. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I want to at least start practicing this. What is a good first, like someone comes to you and they say, okay, I, 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 I want to change my ways. I'm <laughs> being critical. Isn't working. I want to be more compassionate. What do they do? So a very, very easy thing is to use what you already know, which is how to be compassionate to others. So you might just imagine, okay, what if my, my really good friend or someone I really care about was in the exact same situation I was in? You know, what would I say to that friend, especially if my friend said, I want you to be honest with you know, I want you to be honest with me. What would you say to that friend? Would you say, you're a stupid loser, I hate you? <laughs> yeah, what would be the consequence? You know, no, you might, you might give some tough truths. It would come from a place of care. And like, but I believe in you. What can I do to help? That warm, supportive attitude 
course, it's going to be more effective to help your friend than calling them names. You know, so you already know what to say. And then you can say, well, what would happen if I said the same thing to myself? Mm -hmm. Or if that's too difficult, you can imagine what would a really good, kind friend say to me? You know, you can also do it that way if that feels more natural to you. Mm -hmm. We already know how to be supportive and helpful to others. We just have to give ourselves permission to do it with ourselves. What if you work for a boss who doesn't use compassion at all in trying to motivate you, giving you feedback. And they, I mean, I had a boss once who literally had us competing against each other for how many hires we could make. And she was going to pay us a, you know, like talk about creating competition and, and, you know, so, and I, and I, she was just very critical. Um, and so I'm curious what happens if you have a boss like this, who's critical and not compassionate? You need a lot of self-compassion from the outside. You know, I mean, so really, if we're, if we're waiting for other people to give us the compassion and support we need, we may be waiting quite a long time. And so it's precisely in situations like that, you can say to yourself, this is really hard. You know, this is painful. How can I, what can I do to help in this moment? You know, and maybe, maybe it's not the right decision for you to change jobs, but you can say something like, wow, that really hurt when she said that, you know, and I'm not going to believe it. I'm, I'm also not going to let my happiness be so dependent on her mood or what she says about me. You know, I know my worth comes from a different place. My worth is intrinsic. It comes from mm-hmm. a conscious human being who feels, you know, and I'm not going to let other people try to convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know someone who, uh, she really loves mantras and she has something similar like that written out and printed right in front of her computer. I think a lot of this also can happen because we use language like finding your dream job. So I know when I was writing my book, I I talked a lot about how the dream job doesn't exist. And I'm a big fan of this phrase, like the good enough job. And and part of it is because otherwise we have so much of our identities and our self-worth tied to job title, as you mentioned, extrinsic things. And, um, it's a really dangerous loop to get into. And I guess one more question about self-compassion is that could somebody see that as being narcissistic or like, you don't care about your results at work or like, you know, the person who is running and chasing down their quote unquote dream job, they have more, you know, gumption in them than the person who's like, I'm cool with the good enough job. I, I, you know, I, I don't, Feel like my self-esteem or I need to chase down this whatever it is. And, and I guess could could that be a myth around self-compassion is that it leads to narcissism? Self-compassion leads to narcissism? It's the opposite <laughs> of narcissism, right? So it's self-esteem that I need to be better than everyone else. So it leads to narcissism saying it's okay to be a flat human being. That's not narcissistic at all. Right. So um might other people not agree with you or may not like you? Yeah, they may not. For instance, a lot of fierce self-compassion I talk about for women is drawing boundaries. You know, we're raised that people will like us better if we do everything they say. And then they actually may like us a little bit less if we don't do everything they say and we don't like jump like the trained dog, you know, when we're asked to. But the thing about self-compassion is you aren't so dependent on other people liking you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you, you become selfish. The thing is, one of the really major findings of the research, self-compassion allows you to be authentic. What's right for me? You may not know what's right for me. You know, I'm I'm really the only one who knows what's right for me. And I need to take responsibility for trying to be happy in the way that works for me. And maybe I'm I'm a top-level athlete. And for me, the thing that will make me happy is a gold medal. 
and I'm going to work my ass off to get that gold medal. And anything less is not good enough, even though I am still good enough. Even if it's, you know, so it's, it's differentiating the behavior and yourself. Other people, you know, good enough. Like, like I, I gave up therapy <laughs> three years ago because I'm like, I'm good enough. I've done a lot of therapy. You know, I still have my flaws and foibles, but I'm, but I'm good enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to spend time on it anymore. You know, my, my ego functions, it's functional. It's good enough. Yeah. But it, it all depends on what's important to you. And you can't let anyone on the outside say what's true for you. You're the only one who really knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree with that. You had mentioned some of the other benefits of practicing self-compassion. Um, and you gave us an example of, you know, just changing the language on how you, you speak to yourself. One thing I was also thinking about is, you know, is this partially related to people who are more optim, like people who practice self-compassion, are they more optimistic? Do they, do they go for things more often like the job or the whatever? Um, I guess, what are some of the other benefits just to. It's interesting. There are, um, it's so it's, it's very strongly associated with like less negative outcomes, less depression, less anxiety, less stress, less PTSD, less suicidal ideation. Because if you think about it, self-compassion is a way of dealing with pain, right? The word passion in Latin means suffer, communes, but how, how are we with our pain? Are we with ourselves, with our pain in a way that's helpful or harmful? So it helps to reduce suffering because we aren't fighting it, we aren't exacerbating it, we're helping ourselves, we're healing ourselves through our own kindness and support. And even though it's aimed at suffering, it's also linked to more happiness, more optimism, more hope. And basically, I think the way that works is because when you, when you aren't so overtaken by your negative emotions, you aren't so sucked into them because you have a way to hold them, that allows you to um, say, oh, wow, but this over here is true. Yeah, so maybe the bad thing's up here, but you know, but I can handle that. And wow, is that an opportunity around the corner? And also, kindness feels good. Kindness is actually positive emotions. So it's like we're, we're, we're generating positive feelings in situations of negativity. And that also helps us to lead some of these positive outcomes like hope and happiness. Mm-hmm. We used to think about self-compassion, what we know from the research. It's a more effective motivator than self-criticism. It leads to much higher mental well-being, less depression, less stress, more happiness, more life satisfaction. Um, it's a very powerful a resilience and coping strategy. People who got through the pandemic, you know, people who are self-compassionate were able to cope with the pandemic. They're better able to cope with combat or going through a divorce or raising a special needs kid. In other words, if you're your own ally, when you go into the battle of life, you're going to be stronger. Um, people have better relationships who are self-compassionate because the more I give myself, the more I, I have to give to other people. Yeah. Very, very clear. This is a really good, and there's no downsides. In some ways, the downside would be an oxymoron because if self-compassion is concerned for your own well-being, and if you're doing something that harms you, it's no longer self-compassion. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it, it maybe you, if you think it's self-compassion, but it's really just laziness and self-indulgence. Laziness and self-indulgence are not self-compassion. You're using it as an excuse without saying what's really good for me. Yeah. I was, I was actually th- just thinking that I was like, the only thing I could see is that people wanting to do this, but quote unquote, labeling things wrong. Like thinking something is self-compassionate, but it's not. And that's why, I mean, I started it off by saying when people think of self-compassion, they confuse it for a lot of other things. And is that one of the biggest challenges with this? 
Yeah, every time I talk about it, this five main misconceptions come from every audience that it's self-pity, that it's selfish, that it's going to make you weak, that it's going to undermine your motivation. Well, actually six, it's going to um, make you self-indulgent and you're not going to take responsibility. And luckily, we've got so much research on all of them. They're all completely false. In fact, it's the opposite. You'll be stronger. You'll take more responsibility. You'll be more motivated. You'll be less selfish. Um, you'll be less self-focused and uh, you'll be stronger. So it's the exact opposite of what people fear. And it's such a shame that we have these myths because they, they stand in the way from something that could be available like right now. Yeah. Help you. It's not rocket science. You just have to give yourself permission to give yourself the kindness, understanding, warmth, support, encouragement. You would show to anyone you cared about. Mm-hmm. So for people listening to this, if you guys are interested in creating a practice of self-compassion so it becomes I think with all things, it's like you have to be a little bit more diligent about it, practicing it at first, and then it will become a habit. I will acknowledge it doesn't feel totally natural. You got to get through the weirdness of it. <laughs> yeah. So to get through the weirdness, they can read your book. They can use your workbook. Any other tips and advice for getting started with this? Well, yeah. If you Google self-compassion, you'll find my website. And I've got, I think I have like 20 or 30. I've got a lot of free um, downloadable audio uh, guided practices there. So it's really designed to be first place to start. And if you're interested in the research, there's a lot of research. You can also take um, the self-compassion measure I developed to see how, how you score in self-compassion. Oh, I love that. It's not worth your time. Maybe you're already really good at it. You know what I mean? So it'll give you a sense of where you are as well. That's yeah. the easiest place to start. Okay, well, we're going to link to your book and the workbook and your website in the show notes. And then also for people who are listening to this, if you work in a workplace and you want to encourage this, if you're a manager, I think this would be an amazing thing to do and practice on your own, encourage your team to do. I know, I mean, I really do imagine like one of the biggest issues with workplaces right now, because we hear, (laughs) we get all the DMs and all the complaints about bad bosses, manipulation, toxic workplaces, burnout, 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 burnout. And I think self-compassion is, is I don't want to say a cure-all, but it's something that I really, really would love to see more of in the workplace. It makes it, it makes a tremendous difference. It really, it really does. Um, yeah, I get it with Chris Grimmer. I'm going to be, we're going to be writing a book on self-compassion for burnout because it's so helpful for that. And again, it doesn't make problems go away. It's not like sugar coating. Yeah. The reality, if your boss is toxic, may need to make a change. Um, but that's the nice thing, the thing about fierce and tender self-compassion. So my latest book, Fierce Self-Compassion, is more written for a woman because women are socialized not to be fierce. And we get backlash in the workplace if we're too fierce. People don't like us. If too, yeah. Too confident. So what you have to do is kind of unfortunate. We have to, but that's the way it is, is if you balance the fierce and the tender, if you stand up for yourself, but also make some display of care, kind of warmth and nurturing, it tends to temper the backlash. Yeah. And I've noticed uh, women also don't like fierce, overly confident women in the workplace. Even more so than men, actually. Yeah. Research, a women dislike confident women more than men do. How about that? Because we've internalized these terms and we think, oh, a strong, fierce, confident woman, she must not be very kind or nurturing. That's why we need to see fierceness as a face of kindness. It's not separate from it. It actually works in concert with it. You know, again, the fierce mama bear and the gentle mother. And by the way, they're both feminine energies. It's not like fierceness is only a male thing. You know, mama bear, she's, you know, something from nature. That, and I think men also can tap into this fierce protective parental energy. 
Um, but, but we also know that's part of our nature. And we've been socialized not to tap into it. And uh, so the Me Too movement really inspired me to write this book largely because, you know, oh, that's just the way men are. Oh, so he's a little touchy. You know, I just have to just not talk about it. Like, Bullshit. No, I'm going to call it out. You know, yeah. be brave because if we aren't brave, we aren't going to be able to make the changes that are needed because things are not looking so good if you put global warming and whatnot. And you really have to make some changes. Yeah, absolutely. And the bravery comes from the fear side of self-compassion. Interesting. So self-compassion has almost like these, I don't want to say alter egos. That's not the right word, but it has these. Yin and yang, I like to call it. Yin and yang. Okay. Yeah. That's much better. The complementary, right? Yin and yang. We need both. Actually, the lack of health is defined by an imbalance between yin and yang. And yet here, women are raised to be yin. They can't be yang. Men are raised to be yang. They can't be yin. So if you build in mental illness in our gender role socialization, and it really carries on in the workplace because traditionally it's been a very young and powerful world. And that's partly why, you know, there's still a glass ceiling, for instance, because people don't still don't like powerful women. Yeah. Not self-compassion can fix it. It certainly can't fix it, but it can help us navigate it in a way that it helps us, gives us a little more chance of getting through it unscathed. And also, the power to stand up and fight it as well. We got to fight the patriarchy, you know. Yeah, I do know. <laughs> I do know that. Um, well, Kristen, this has been amazing. I think you. I mean, just the fact that you have taken the time to write a book, uh, how to mold the fierce and the self compassion. I know that is like perfect for our audience as well. Um, I'm I'm gonna definitely look forward to that. And so we already mentioned where people can find you. Anywhere else that people, if they want to find more information about you besides your website. Well, the other one is, so the training arm of what I do is, is a nonprofit I started with Chris Gilmer called the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And if you want to take actual training, it's all online these days because of COVID. So really anywhere you are, you can take long courses, short courses. We have a lot of different training opportunities. You can also link to that from my website. I will. It's not just a good idea. It's a practice. And there's a lot of empirically supported ways to learn the practice that are available to you. So I, I think that's kind of what I like about this too, is that you can hear about this and it doesn't feel like it's just floating out in the air. It's like, okay, here are some concrete resources so you can practice it and put it into action. And it's not just like make a list. Like so many, yeah. make a list, right? Seven ways. Uh-uh. You're like, yeah, it's not a, it's not a quick listicle. Concrete practices that you can actually do in your daily life. Amazing. Well, we will link to all of those. Thank you so much for sharing your time today. And you are the self-compassion guru. So we, we are learning from the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. If you want to learn more about Dr. Kristen Neff, her book, the additional resources and trainings, check out our show notes for all those links. Lastly, I know asking our audience to leave reviews and ratings can seem like a total drag, but when you take the time to leave a review or share an episode with your friends, it helps us to bring you more great episodes like this one so, so much. Please consider leaving us a review and rating us if you haven't already. 